Welcome to Being Better Podcast, where we explore the things that make us happier, wiser, and healthier people. Hi, my name is Julia, and I am your host. Every week, I take a concept, a technique, or a story to learn how it can make us better. I hope that this show can help you with your practice of self-inquiry. So, here we go. going and welcome back to the being better podcast your go-to place to learn about all the things regarding becoming happier wiser healthier and more compassionate towards ourselves and others i hope that you and your loved ones are well and that you are having an amazing day and if you are not i hope that this podcast can make it at least a little bit better and that probably will happen because this week i was joined by lucky sigwayan the founder of Fit Vegan Coaching and an online creator with experience as an Ironman competitor, fitness trainer, bodybuilder and an entrepreneur. His Fit Vegan program sets out to simplify a daunting process of losing weight on a vegan diet without restrictive dieting and it's teaching others how to transform and sustain their successful results. And in this episode, we talked about so many incredible topics. I think it's a very insightful conversation. For example, we talked about body image issues in men and what actually should be the definition of manliness. Also about improving the relationship with one's body, how to do that and what practices can help you to be a little bit kinder to that vessel, which is your body. We also talked about grief and how to do it properly because grief is something all of us will have to go through or have gone through and we don't really talk about it and we talked about being comfortable with one's own thoughts with being alone and with listening to what's going on within and when it comes to the latter side of things we also talked about common mistakes in vegan nutrition especially when it comes to being an athlete and about cold exposure and cold water exposure so if you are interested in that i think this episode will be perfect for you so without further ado here's my conversation with lucky and i'm sure you'll love it Thanks for coming on the show. And I just want to start by saying that your, I guess, energy is very contagious. And just from just those couple of minutes chatting with you, I'm just kind of feel like I'm motivated and I can, I don't know, run a marathon just right here, right now. So I don't know. I think it's like a great talent to have to just, you know, have that high vibes. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. It, it makes me happy that it makes you feel this way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think it's like a certainly useful thing when it comes to well, your job. And it certainly makes me believe that you really are doing what you're supposed to be doing, you know? That's definitely like, I definitely feel in alignment with what I'm supp- supposed to be doing in this world. And I think that's why I just, I think that's why people feel this way around me is because yeah, I'm in this space where I need to be. It definitely shows. And I am very like when I, I read a couple of your um your clients testimonies and it's just it's amazing and it shows how you can help people and how um you know through staying true and through sharing your journey your experiences your struggles and your wins you can really um, change other people's lives and I think at the end of the day this is I think why we are here uh, on this planet just to make our lives better and then do the same to the people around us I think that's like why we're here yeah there's there's definitely a point where you start to realize that it's a lot about a lot more than yourself and that's when the fun begins once you get to that point yeah um, so to start of this conversation, let's move on to my favorite segment, which is the recommendation of the week. And this segment is pretty much, you know, self-explanatory. It's just that I love asking my guests and just 
actually the people that I admire to um, learn just what type of media they consume or what things they like to read about or what they eat or how they sleep just to understand what makes them tick um so yeah now I want to ask you what have you been reading or listening to or watching lately um that you think that I and the listeners may find enjoyable or interesting or thought-provoking or anything of this sort so what can you recommend to us yes so I have my good friend uh Nimai Delgado be familiar with him um he i just labeled him as that but he was in the game changers vegan bodybuilder um so he just kind of relaunched his game changers it's like one of my favorite documentaries so i for sure came across him yeah he um he just relaunched his podcast the nimai delgado podcast and such a great conversationalist he's very emotionally intelligent with some of the conversation that he has and it just makes you really see things from a different perspective so i've just been diving deep into his podcast and that's what i figured i would share with you guys i know he brings a lot of value to the world and he's on a big mission as well and so just want to you know put that out there and support him as best as i can well that's so lovely and well i'm gonna put that into uh, the episode description for anyone uh, listening to check out as well as all the goodies like um your website and Instagram. Anyone listening, uh, go to that for all the goodies. And now let's go back to the early days, I think, to start off. Um, can you talk a bit about your life before you even considered going, you know, plant-based and um, kind of how how your life looked like back then? And what was the reason that you decided to make that change? Yeah, it goes far back. Um so before I, I was vegan, I was a bodybuilder and powerlifter. So I used to weigh like 240 pounds, which I think is like 110 kg, like around that mark. Yeah, I, I can imagine that. I'm six foot four. So I was like, I was, I was a pretty big guy. I was, you know, competing on stage, uh, just lifting heavy weights, eating a ton of meat. Uh, I was like literally the opposite of who I am now in that I ate like a dozen eggs for breakfast. I ate three chicken breasts every two hours for five meals a day. It's so, like 15 chicken breasts a day for three plus years um, because I was very obsessed with building my body. A lot of it was ego and insecurity driven um, because that's, I came from a world of being like really skinny. Uh, and I was like, no, like I want to, I want to be big. I want the world to accept me. And so I just, fell into the bodybuilding world, got really big. And what got me to transition was not the environment, was not the animals, was not the health aspect. It was still purely self-conscious driven. I got recruited to do high fashion modeling and I went to an agency and they're like, I see something under those big chubby cheeks of yours. Like if you lose some weight, <laughs> maybe we can do some photo shoots and all that. And I was like, great. Like this I can get paid for people to take pictures of me. Like that sounds, that sounds amazing. Right. Like little 20 year old me. Yeah. And so I started losing weight and um, actually I was like, at one point I was still too muscular. And so I went on, on Google and I was like, what diet is going to allow me to be skinny and veganism showed up. Like vegans are skinny and weak. I was like, well, I don't care if I'm weak. I just need to be skinny. <laughs> and so literally the next day I switched from 12 eggs for breakfast and like a full cup of oatmeal to a bowl of, it was frozen blueberries, bananas, and dates. And that was my first vegan breakfast. And it's been uh, over eight years since that day. And I just stayed because I mean, felt so that's good. Incredible. Yeah. And I mean, I just find it so funny that, you know, the reason that you went vegan was that, you know, to to be to be this kind of, you know, skinny week. I mean, not weak, but this this skinny little uh, stereotype of a vegan, and you know, look at you now running all those Ironmans, and you know, looking like you know, I, I, I guess Michelangelo's sculpture. I would say <laughs> it's like exactly. thank you. I guess like the highest compliment that I can give. <laughs> I just think it's like so funny because it's like what you're now. It's like the opposite, and I mean, it's. What in like your story, what strikes me is like you have had all of those different goals with your body and, you know, to be big, then to be skinny. And uh, it's it's so interesting because um, I mean, I don't know, it's crazy for me that we are the only animals that are changing our bodies on 
purpose and changing them like so like opposite sides of the spectrum pretty much in like a couple of years and it's just it's so weird out like we are the only one only species that does that yeah because most species out of survival don't really need to right we're the only weird ones that are like i want a bigger butt i want bigger arms and i want to be leaner for the beach like we're, we're the only species that has those desires yeah um i'm curious if you think that um what you what was your motivation back then was some sort of uh, body image uh, issues if you um if you can call it that i for sure know that it's not just women who struggle with body image issues like now you can read more and more about guys and the you know body uh, building industry i guess and um would you say that it, you have experienced some of those body image issues oh yeah 100 that was the that was the sole thing that was driving me when i was younger i uh i'm, I'm six foot four like i'm I'm really tall. And so growing up, you know, I was six foot four when I was 12. And so when I, you know, was wearing a shirt on for all the guys listening, like I looked like a spaghetti noodle. I was so skinny. But then when <laughs> I took off my shirt, I, I was skinny fat. Like I had a lot of body fat. Like I had probably bigger breasts than my girlfriend at the time, but I was like really skinny at the same time. And so like, yeah, what drove me was, you know, the desire to, to fit in and be fit like those people in the magazines. And that brought me on a path of like 10 plus years of training to get me to a place where I finally realized that it doesn't matter what I actually look like. That's a whole journey in and of itself. But yeah, a lot of my, my training, my yeah. discipline towards nutrition was very driven towards um, attaining a specific image. Yeah. That's so interesting. And would you say that veganism and kind of through that accepting your body and just learning um, kind of to have a better relationship with that. Uh, would you say that you have learned something about masculinity and what you want masculinity to mean for you? Like, I'm curious, what, what does now masculinity mean for you versus what it used to mean? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll try to keep it concise. <laughs> um, <laughs> Definitely back in the day, masculinity for me was being like really big and strong and muscular and just show up as this person that could be very um, cold. I would say not someone like that, someone that would hide their emotions, someone that would not show their emotions. Okay. Like James Bond, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So just become that very like, I would say I use the word cold because that's what I it, it feels like now looking back. Right? Just muscular, cold, not showing any emotions. And as I transitioned into veganism, the whole purpose was for me to get skinny so I could fit in the clothes and actually model uh, internationally. And my identity was very much wrapped up into me being this big muscular guy and this is a strong person. And so when I started losing the muscle mass, which again, doesn't happen when you go vegan, I was doing it on purpose with the way I was training and eating. I should always have to put that out there. Um, my, I was taking a big hit from a, um, identity point of view because i was this big muscular guy and i was getting skinny skinny and i was like who am i like who am i in the world how do i show up if i'm not this big muscular guy and then that's when i started self-development that's when i started working on myself starting to learn about myself what do i need to unlearn how do i build my my personality how do i develop myself and that was a very interesting period of my life that i'm really grateful that i went to that allow me to detach myself from this identity of like, this is what a man should look like into this is just who I am, regardless of people think yeah. of me as like a, a manly man or a man or a boy. I was like, I don't care. This is just who I am. And that evolved through um, when I was going through cancer with my, my, my late fiance um, that really showed me what a man was. A man is someone that's able to hold space for their partner. A man is someone that's is able to be emotional with their partner. A man is someone that's able to show up when times are hard, right? A man is someone that's able to prior put other people in front of themselves. Like that really showed me what a definition of a man was because I've seen throughout this journey of cancer, other people go through cancer with their partner, where the guy was this big muscular guy eating meat but he wasn't emotionally able to handle the situation where he just crumbled and left. To me, that's not, to me, that's not a man. 
right? You can, you can have all the muscle you want, eat all the meat you want, drink all the beer you want, have the highest testosterone level, but if you can't show up for the people that you love, to me, it, it doesn't count. Yeah, I guess that's the different yet the most important type of strength. And if you want to be strong, you really have to consider, um, are you going to be able to be strong in those tough situations that um, life puts in front of you sometimes? Um, I am curious if you can share some advice on what practices helped you in that process of um, body acceptance and learning that it is not that important and appearance is not everything about me Um, because you know I think it's like everyone is going through that you know all different kinds of people from all you know genders and all walks of life we just all I guess struggle with that and you know as you uh, did we all sometimes go through the these kind of identity crisis uh, because it's like if I had that you know when uh, I had to gain some weight because of uh, some health stuff it's just was just like okay but I, I used to be like the, the that skinny girl and what if I that can wait it's like well, who am I going to be then it's not just like you know how I'm gonna look but it's like am I going to be like a different person it's kind of hard to let go of that um so what would be your advice on improving that relationship um with your body and and with food yeah it's a great question um before I answer I want to preface that I personally had to go through every single transformation my body could do before I could get to that place right? I was really big and strong, was really lean, and skinny, I became very athletic, I got big again, like I, I've done all the transformations you can possibly think of with the human body. And so me personally, I had to go through that to kind of come to that place. But with my members, a big part of what we do, and I and I always, I'm always very upfront about this is like, what we do is about a lot more than training and nutrition. Because if I snap my fingers, and I give you the body that you want, are you going to be happy? of the time, no, people won't be happy because they're still dealing internally with the shit that they have in their head. Whether regardless if you have a six pack, a flat stomach, the stuff in your head is still going to be there. And that's why we spend a lot of time on self-development and kind of, you know, uncovering what some of those like demons, maybe traumas are there because I'm a big believer and through my own personal experience as well, and through having a lot of people help a lot of people through this is there something that's stemming from early on that made you believe that you weren't enough, that you weren't beautiful enough, that you weren't enough in in general. And all these actions and things that we're doing in trying to acquire that body stem from that place. But if we can address that place and realize that, you know, it was silly to build that belief at that age, which was like, it was perfect because it protected us for so long. But now, right now, it's not serving us anymore. It's actually hurting us in the things that we're trying to accomplish and how we're trying to show up in the world. And so for me, I had to do a lot of like trauma kind of work to come to this place where I'm like, regardless if I have 10, 20 pounds on me right now, heavier, 10, 20 pounds lighter, like regardless of however my body looks, I'm still going to be super happy with who I am because I know how I show up in the world, regardless of what my body looks like. And so to be honest, like it's the non-sexy answer, but it takes time and it takes a willingness to go deep and confront some of these things that have caused you to believe that you need to have this body in order to be someone, in order to be loved, in order to be accepted. I mean, I, I don't know if like there's any sexy way when it comes to the way to our mental health. Like there are no shortcuts and like you can take all the seminars you want to but at the end of the day you also have to do the work within um and do try out different practices and can you can you share some of the practices i'm curious about you know you said that trauma work um have you um like what practices did you use to kind of um look within and and establish that relationship um a bit you make it stronger yeah um like honestly seminar is a big part of it but like reading and surrounding myself with people that had done that work that could support me in this journey of like 
of inner di discovery was very important. And then meditation was a really big one, right? Meditation, just training myself to sit with myself. And like I talked about, like this weekend, I'm heading to Joshua Tree. And then you kind of mentioned you're going to go right out there. I was like, no, I'm just going there to do nothing. I'm just going there to be still and learn to sit with myself. And I think if people get to practice that, they're going to get so much out of it. And that's, that's what I do as a practice is I, I'm just, I'm still working on it, trying to learn to just sit with myself and be with myself in silence with no phone, no TV, no sound. How can I just sit and be still and not feel like I need to do something with my body, right? Because a lot of the times, a lot of our actions are out of escapism, right? We're like, well, I feel very uncomfortable with just sitting with myself. So like, oh, I'm going to disguise it as like, I need to be productive. I need to go and do something. Maybe I should check my message or my email. It's like, no, nothing really matters right now. Can you sit with yourself? Right. And that's, and I think the past two years has shown a lot that the world has a hard time doing that because there's been a higher rate of, of suicide, mental health issues over the past two years since people have been in quarantine and have been forced to be with themselves. And that just goes to show that like, we have a really hard time with that. And so can we do that in a controlled environment? Quarantine, like this whole two years was not, um, not controlled because you were forced to be inside, but you actually taking on the practice of like sitting by yourself, which you can leave at any time you want, but like training yourself to be with yourself. Uh, that's been the biggest thing that I've been focusing on. I really love that. I I, I used to think that, you know, I am the kind of person who loves to be alone and loves my own company. And it's, it's like, it's true. I love being by myself, but I love being my, by myself when I'm reading, when I'm cooking, when I am, you know, watching a movie, when I am just, you know, doing something. And it was like a hike. I went on a, like a, you know, hike. I was like six hours, you know, in the mountains, just, just, not doing anything I you know put my headphones my phone down and I realized shit it's actually not I mean I, I like being by myself but this is hard you know being with my thoughts and being forced to listen to also the bad things that I think and not having the ability to run away from these bad things it's it's hard but I think learning to listen to that and learning that there's no point in escaping that because it's going to catch up to you and, and make problems. And I think like it's like the most important ability and the most important thing we have to learn in our lives. Just the ability to to listen, to to not try to interrupt, not even interrupt others, but also not interrupt ourselves Um because there's just this constant flow and sometimes you just have to notice it. Um, so I think it's, it's really beautiful. And yeah. I think for, for the listeners listening after that might, I just said there's different perspectives on that. Right. And I've, and I'll just share, I always like to share from personal experience. I never like to tell what people what to do, but just from personal experience, um, the times that I wanted to be alone is because I was scared to build connection and get hurt. And then once I realized that, then I went out and started opening my heart and making some of those connections. And at times where I really wanted to be social, like I felt like I needed it. Some of the times it was because I was scared to be with myself. Right. And so I just want to point that out because those two scenarios can be disguised very well. So just for the people listening, just so they see if one of them connects with them. I, I think it's very important to ask why. Uh, and to be more critical of your own needs. So when you feel like you want to go and eat something and go to the go to the fridge, uh, I think it's important to ask why. Am I hungry or am, do I want to kind of um, fulfill some other needs through eating? Or why do I want to go out to that party? Is it because I want to run away from what I'm thinking or is it just because I want to feel some comfort through being with others? It's, I think approaching our thoughts more critically can show you that your actions and your choices, it's like all so complex. There's just, there's just this web of, of things, of needs, of, of thought, thought processes and actually what you do is not what you do. And, you know, there's just this, 
complete opposites can be true. Um, and if you are more critical of what happens in your brain, I think you can discover so many things about yourself that you would never do otherwise. Yeah, it's a very fun journey to take on. Um, for some people, yeah, for some people listening, they might be like, wow, this is very overwhelming, but it's actually fun once you dive into it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, for me, humans and my own existence, it's like the most interesting thing that I want to spend time on. It's like, I started this podcast because I am, I am in awe of this existence and I am so tired of people acting like it's not a big deal that we are here on this kind of tiny piece of rock in the middle of this vast universe that keeps expanding and through chance you know some compounds got together and you know that DNA then happened and then you know life happened and I'm just tired of you know small talk and people not realizing that this is crazy that I'm conscious of my own experience of my conscious you know I'm conscious of my life and my being and I think it's crazy in that sense maybe I sound like you know like a hippie but I guess I'm a hippie in that way no you seem very passionate Raj. I'm very excited for you that you've discovered that and that you're pursuing that yeah well I think it's important to know that you know there are ups and downs but there it's just all a part of life um and I guess I want to segue with that into um, something a bit, a bit of that, you know, darker side, because I know that you've been open about the loss of your fiance. Um, and by the way, I want to give you my condolences. I, I've uh, watched one of your videos in which you mentioned the lessons that you learned from her. And I really cannot imagine how hard it must have been to, to let go of a person like that so if you don't mind me asking uh, how have you been dealing with that grief and what again what practices if you can share have helped you in that process because I just know that you know there are probably many listeners that are going through something similar and I think it's it's like a very important topic because no one ever taught us how to grieve which is crazy because if you think about it everyone it's like grief is something that everyone has experienced or will for sure experience in the future so I think it's we're nowadays we are not approaching it as we should it's like a taboo topic but I think death is a part of life and I think grieving is something that we need to um, learn about yeah definitely well thank you very much for the kind words um, it was it it probably will be for the rest of my life, the hardest experience I've ever had to go through. Uh, you know, it was four and a half years together. And it, yeah, it's the hardest experience I've ever had to go through. And in terms of how I dealt with it, I'm still dealing with it, to be honest. Um, but one of the biggest things, like I kind of mentioned in that, in that, in that video, in that podcast of the lessons that I learned from her was um, to make time count, right? Like, that was such a big lesson for, I even had got it tattooed on my body. That's how big of a lesson it was for me, right? People always say that life is short. Um, life is not short, right? Like Jen got to live almost 40 years and 40 years is a long time to be on this earth. When you make every single day count, when you don't make time count, yeah, it's pretty short, right? Because people always have to wait until the end of like, oh, we should have done this. We should have done that. Well, we had all this time to do it. And so that was a big lesson is like the times that we were just on our phone beside each other or like watching Netflix instead of like having deep conversations. Like those are the things that I would have changed. And that comes back to presence, right? Being present with the people that you love. And that was kind of my approach and it still is my approach to grieving, which is presence. Um, not trying to not deal with the emotions, not trying to push everything down because I don't want to face them because one of the big things that we learned through her cancer healing journey was the, impact that trauma can have on the body and the health it's, it's huge right like some people will get cancer even if they eat super healthy and work out because they're not dealing with traumatic experiences that they've been through in their life like trauma plays a huge um, role in people getting sick and so me knowing that and having seen it firsthand with her and like all the experiences and knowledge that we've gained together I was like I don't want to be sick in 20, 10 20 years from now because I didn't face this 
And so that, that was my approach to the whole process was just me being present. If I felt like crying, I cried. If I felt like crying, if I felt like screaming, I screamed. If I felt like punching a wall, I punched a wall, like whatever would come up. I would just allow myself to do that wherever I was. I've cried in the gym. I've cried on the sidewalk. I've screamed on the sidewalk. I just, I didn't, I don't, I don't, I didn't care. It wasn't about other people. Like that was the one thing. I, I really love that. That was the part that was about me. I was like, what, what's going through my body right now. And I just need to release it because I don't want to store this stuff. Um, and I had being surrounded by really good friends that really helped me not make stupid decisions. It was very important. Um, friends that, you know, had personally gone through grief and they're like, Hey, like, I know you want to do all these things. I know you want to get rid of your place and cause you can't live here anymore. And like, he's like, but just don't do it now. Right. Because then you'll be rushed to move while you're feeling all emotional. So I had some really good guidance and I'm very grateful for that friend. Um, and one of my members actually shared a story with me. I can't remember exactly what it is, but that grief is like waves, like on a boat on the ocean. Right. Sometimes there's big waves that come and they feel really hard and you just want to cry for like two hours and not do anything. And sometimes it's calm on the ocean where there's no waves and you feel good for a little while. Sometimes it's small waves. Sometimes it goes back to big waves. Right. And over time, as time passes, those waves come in less frequently. Right. And sometimes they right now, the waves come every like month or so at this point. But when they come. I'm still following the same rule. I'm being present to it. I feel angry. If I feel sad, whatever I feel, I just allow myself to feel it. Um, and so I thought I always, I always refer back to the analogy for myself. I'm like, right. Like I feel another wave coming. Oh, this is a small wave. Oh, this is a big wave. And just being present to the whole thing and just had some really powerful experiences three or four weeks ago um, that really allowed me to be complete with Jen um and our whole journey together which brought me a lot of um joy which is now when i think of this time of my life with her and my experiences with her i feel a lot of gratefulness instead of sadness and knowing that how i feel changes over time we'll see how i feel in a month or two months from now because there's been times originally where i was like sadness of like damn i just lost the love of my life and then there was times where it was just like, I miss her. Like, I just miss her having her around. And then there's times where like right now, it's a lot of gratefulness. And those emotions change over time. There's no predictable path. But, you know, I'm not saying that I dealt with it perfectly because I'm still dealing with it. And it's going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life. But I'm still going to follow the world of being present to whatever shows up. I think it's so amazing how you talk about it, how you kind of show that this experience, this hard thing that you had to go through um, can be looked at something that a lot of good came out of it. That, you know, even though it was like the darkest time of your life, um, you know, the way you speak about it shows that you dealt with it in a way that helped you develop and probably you know also the people people around you and i think it's it's so beautiful that um you know they're like it's like the yin yang sign you know there is the um dark parts in the good things and the you know bright good things that are in the darker times as well um so i think it's it's so beautiful and i also wanted to say that i really admire how you know, you have the ability to let yourself, you know, do what your body needs, like, you know, crying in the gym, you know, punching the wall, I think it's like we, through the way we are raised, are taught to kind of control ourselves and act, quote unquote, normal, and through that, I think a lot of the things that we need to express are actually stored within ourselves, and therefore they can, um, like you said, it, it can tr turn into trauma that if you don't deal with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to catch up. Yeah, it's a, it's a good friend of mine, Dr. G, um, Christian Gonzalez, who I interviewed recently. He, we talked about this because he, he has a very similar experience to me with, it, with his mom. And, you know, the analogy he uses, you have this cup of water inside of you. Um, and if you keep accumulating 
some of those like traumatic experiences and you push them down, it's not what's going to make the cup overflow over time. Right. And also like the cup gets filled with like environmental toxins, not fueling your body properly and all that. But if you do it for a little bit, like the cup won't overflow, but over the years that cup gets full and then it overflows from years of stuffing trauma experiences, not feeling your body properly, environmental toxins and all that. And when it overflows, it's when disease happens. And so a lot of people go through their whole life being like, ah, like I pushed it down. I'm good. I dealt with it, but it's going to show up later on if it's not confronted. It always does. Yeah. Like you can run away trying to be a healthy person, you know, working out, eating good things, but it It's like I, I personally did not know that uh, trauma can be um, the reason that you can become sick. Uh, but I guess it makes sense that you you cannot run away from it if you don't deal with it. Um, this stress. Um, I, I, I read a study uh, with um, the survivors of Holocaust, how they did not want to talk about what they went through. And there was like this this woman that she actually went and talked about her experiences, awful, terrible experiences in a uh, concentration camp. And she said that, you know, she was like 70 or 80 when she had that conversation. But she, she said like, my whole life changed. And she was regretful that she has not done it earlier. And she has not dealt with that um that with these experiences earlier and and she really she really wanted to say to everyone that you know please um do not do the same thing as as I have because it's I guess through sharing with you know through conversation or whatever way you deal with trauma it's just I guess you just allow yourself to to let go to experience these things and then realize that okay this happened to me and now I am able to move on to other things yeah definitely there's there's a lot of power in sharing for yourself and for others because you also indirectly give permission to others to share um I really thank you for this sharing um I kind of want to switch to a bit more lighter things um, yeah. but I think, I think all those topics are incredibly important um so thanks for sharing again I think you know the, this all can help a lot of people um but when it comes to a bit more well less important things but yet still the part of the human experience I want to talk about moving which is still you know so important when it comes to mental health um because I know that Through your life, you know, sport has been a huge part and you've, you have always been an athlete. So what, in your opinion, are the most common, well, mistakes when it comes to becoming a plant-based athlete? And do you think that there are some things we should keep in mind, some considerations that new vegans have to keep in mind when it comes to that change? Yeah, in terms of nutrition or the fitness aspect? I mean, I think both. Yeah. So for I'll, I'll, I'll keep the exciting part for the end. I'll start with fitness. Uh, <laughs> so with fitness, right? Um, not killing yourself every workout. The opposite of what most people would say. Um, because if you have two really, really hard training day, if you have like really hard training days and you can't train for four days, and then you do another training session and you only get two in a week because you absolutely crushed yourself in those training session versus someone that kind of goes at like maybe 80% on a workout, but can work out five times a week, that person's going to see more progression than you, right? Than someone that only does two workouts per day, especially when you're training specifically for a sport like triathlon or running or anything like that. Um, So that, and then the second is, um, making sure you're warming up and stretching. Like, yes, you're young, you're limber and you like your body feels good. And like, I'm still in those stages as well, but like in like 10 years from now, you will be banged up and you're going to be more prone to injury and it's not worth it. I'm all about long-term prevention for health and the body. So I'm warm so up, guilty of this, <laughs> warm up and stretch. Like if you don't warm up, this is the analogy I like to use for my members. If you have an elastic band and it's frozen, right? Which is your body before you start working out. And I pull on it. What happens to that band? It breaks, right? Yeah. It's frozen. It 
that's your body before you start working out. You're more prone to injury if you just jump straight into exercise. So if you warm it up and you have like an elastic that's actually elastic, you pull on it, it's not going to break, right? It'll be able to handle some of the different yeah, yeah. Seems logical. Right? Same thing to do before you warm up. Make sure you stretch after. Uh, and basically, the stretching falls into the recovery process. The name of the game is not necessarily the workout, it's the recovery. How fast can you recover from your workouts? So you can do more workouts to see the, to see the results that you want. All right. So recovery falls into obviously stretching, sleep, ice bath, big fan of those, um, and then nutrition. Mm -hmm. All right. So that would be like the fitness side of things and make sure you bring on a coach that's going to help you. Like if you have a very specific goal of what you want to accomplish and you've never accomplished that goal, don't waste five years trying to figure out, right. Just cough up the investment, get someone that's going to get you there like that. And then you can move on to the next thing. All right. I'm not a, I'm not a big fan of like wasting five years to trying to like Google and figure out everything. Yeah. Make time count. Exactly. Making my time count because I'd rather use it doing something else. Sure. Um, from a nutrition standpoint, where people mess up when they go for plant-based nutrition is uh, the amount of calories that they eat. Majority of people under eat if they're focusing on eating the right types of food. So what I mean by that is if you're eating a whole food plant-based, which is what I follow, what all my members I follow, what I recommend people follow, which is going to give you the most benefits in terms of health in the long run as well. It's very high in volume, high in fiber, high in vitamins and nutrients, but high in volume, but it's low in calorie. And so the majority of people, when they switch to whole food plant-based, they're severely under eating for the amount of um, exercise that they're doing. Their energy output is way higher than an energy input. And so tracking on average your calories, just to have an idea kind of where you're at is a good idea to make sure you're eating enough. If you're eating junk food, like vegan junk food, then you're for sure going to be over your calories because it's really processed and really dense in calories. Um, the other part is make sure you get enough protein. Um, so there's kind of like a running joke on my Instagram because I get this question so often that I was going to make t-shirts about it. So you need 1.2 grams to two grams per kg of body weight. If you're an active individual, yeah. right? If you're somewhat training between 1.2 grams to two grams per kg of body weight, how much protein you need, right? If you're going deeper into a calorie deficit, higher on the protein, the more you go closer to your maintenance calorie, the lower you can go on the protein, right? Because you're less likely to be in a catabolic state because you have more calories. So protein would be the second important one. Third would be focusing on variety of plants. Don't eat the same thing every day. Your body loves a wide variety of vitamins and nutrients just to make sure that you top off everything that your body needs, right? People get really set in their ways and eating the same thing every single day. Well, you're going to get a lot of the same nutrients, but there's just so many other beautiful nutrients and they, all the different uh, like color green, dinosaur kale, spinach, kale that you can get that you don't get if you just like, I'm just going to stick with broccoli, like bodybuilders do, like I did for so many years, right? Broccoli was my vegetable of choice. And so making sure you're focusing <laughs> on, on, on variety, right? And those are the three big ones that I recommend the most people that look into. Um, and um, yes, calories, protein, a variety of nutrients. And then if you are going to take supplements, because if you are training a lot for a specific sport, like your needs are a little bit higher, then maybe start looking into supplementation, but not until you're eating a whole food plant-based diet that you're meeting your calories, your protein, you're focusing on variety. Like those are the three big ones. Don't touch a supplement until you get there. Okay. I really love that. It's like so nice and it's like a nice summary and it's like you should you know, have that in bullets and put it on your mirror on a post-it note and keep that in mind. Um, I for sure have to, I am very guilty of not warming up, warming up or stretching after my workouts. It's just, I'm lazy in that way, but I know it, it is important and it does make a difference. I have had actually an injury uh, because of not warming up. It was like her um, a race and I started just very abruptly and suddenly and I fractured my hip muscle and it was not fun I gotta say you know vegan recovery is great and I was able to uh, run a couple of weeks after that but still it was not fun so I guess uh, I can provide my own experience and say that um, warm-ups matter um, and also, I, I'm curious, what benefits have you um, noticed through ice baths? Because I know it's like improved recovery, but I am still kind of wavering. I'm, I am a, I like my comfort. I, I have to push myself out, but I know that it's, it's hard for me to get into that ice. Yeah. Uh, so there's two components to it. 
that I really enjoy. Obviously, there's like the health benefits from it and that it reduces inflammation, helps with like collagen production, you have nicer skin, flushes out toxin because of the blood flow that happens from the blood going towards your organ when you're in the cold to keep yourself warm, to keep you to survive. And then when you step out, it goes towards the outside. So that movement of the flow helps with the lymphatic system and flushing out toxins. So there's a lot of health benefits to it. The sole reason why I like it, this is just a bonus for me, the health aspect. The reason why I like it is because I've always asked, um, depending if you're like leaving God or universe, but I'll just use God in this example as a general term. Like if I've always asked God for life, I've always had this desire to impact the world on a major scale. And so I always knew that I had to become some, the person that was able to stand in that position and handle the pressure of that position. Right. And so my whole life has just been like different experiences that have allowed me to become the person that I am now and the person that allowed me to stand in a position when Jen got cancer, right? Like if, if I had never had gone through hard times, like that was, that would have been too much for me. Um, and so the mental resilience aspect of cold bath and ice bath and cold showers, I absolutely love, I hate ice bath. I hate cold showers. They don't feel comfortable. I absolutely hate them, <laughs> but there's two steps to them, which like I, I love. And I shared with my members, one is stepping into the uncomfortability right? You're outside the shower, you're warm, you're comfortable, right? And you actually willingly stepping into something that's uncomfortable is step one, right? Can you get yourself to do that? The more often you do it, the more you build that pathway in your brain of you doing hard shit, right? So that's step one. Step two is can you sit in the uncomfortability of the ice bath, right? So like now that you've stepped into it, can you just get yourself to sit in it and not freak out? Yeah. I love that part because then your breath starts getting like shorter and your body tenses up and you're like, Oh my God, I'm going to die in this ice bath or whatever how <laughs> you're doing it. But it's like, okay, can I, can I control my body and my breath to the extent where I can sit in this uncomfortable situation? Right. The longest I've ever done an ice bath, like total is 20 minutes. And like for 20, for full 20 minutes, just like ice cubes kind of like sticking to you and it's like 20 minutes that's really a lot i just kind of in i just now process that information 20 minutes in an ice bath like shit i mean i was listening to people that said oh my god i did five minutes look at me i am so great and i'm just like yeah you are so great five minutes you did 20 fucking minutes damn, damn. yeah i had people around me it's not something i would take on on my own obviously because if i pass out or something okay. like i wanted people there but like the, the guy that was kind of guiding us through that, he was just like um, asking people if they had experience with it. I was like, I did. I do have experience with it. He's like, great. Like, don't, no warming up. Cause you would get people to put water on their arms and their head. <laughs> and he's like, you just jump it straight into yeah. it. And I just, bam, sat in it. And I was just, I like zoned in, focused on my breath. And I was just like sitting in the uncomfortability of it. And there's a certain point where you are comfortable in that uncomfortability. And that's the beautiful part because then when you step out, how that translates to real life is like something comes up. And then when you start feeling anxious about whatever event showed up, shortness of breath, your body starts being uncomfortable. I'm just like, as soon as something comes up, I'm just like, big breath. How do I deal with this? <laughs> so instead of me being reactive to events happening, I'm, respo I'm responsive to those events. All right. And that's, it's really helped me in my own personal life to do the ice bath yeah I, I hate them they're not comfortable every time <laughs> but they serve they such a great purpose that's why i keep doing them yeah um do you have any kind of like a routine that you do like are you a fan of warming up and doing some like exercise before um jumping in or jumping in or do you do it like on like a certain time of the day like before your workout or or after or on your rest day or before you eat or after you eat i'm kind of curious about the technicalities i guess yeah um it's a bit different now because i like right now i'm living in in los angeles um and then my home was for five years in vancouver so in vancouver i had like a chest freezer um that i had so i could just jump into it every morning i don't have that here because i'm just traveling living out of airbnbs but cold showers first thing in the morning like you get out of bed i i don't want to warm up i don't want to get myself to a position where i'm like gonna acquire comfort and then do hard shit I just want to like get out of bed and step into hard shit. So I'll just step into the cold shower and then get out of it and let my body naturally warm up. Cause you can turn on the cold, the hot shower after and kind of warm yourself up. I just like the 
I just like the challenge of like stepping into something cold and then being cold while I step out and letting my body naturally warm up, which there's a lot of health benefits to that too. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, like I have, um, I have an access to a kind of like a swimming pool, but right now it's October. So it's like, it's not like a swimming pool that is warmed up. It's like an outside swimming pool. And right now the temperatures are like, um, it's like five to 10 degrees Celsius, I guess, like in the fifties Fahrenheit, uh, question mark. I'm I'm Canadian. So you Celsius. Okay. Yeah. Right. For I makes sense. Like I got the LA. So for any Americans out there, fuck Fahrenheit. It's just, (laughs) it's awful. So that's my message. (laughs) Um, yeah. Anyway. So I think I am thinking about trying that out and also, also making content about it because I guess I have the podcast. I can make um, an episode about my experience um, with that because I am really, I am the type of person, if you struggle with, you know, cold, I am the type of person who really does not. So if I can do it, then you can do it for sure too. So I'm really considering that. So that's why I'm asking about the technicalities. But I think like, yeah, I can do it like in the morning, I guess, um, just kind of after, after waking up and kind of, you know, after waking up, you're warm after you know just sleeping under that um blanket so i guess like that's a good time of the day right yeah and if it's your first few times like yeah i'm sure you're familiar with wim hof like it's doing wim hof breathing technique before is a great way to for you to kind of get into it and have more control over your breath if you're warming yourself up with the breath um, because yeah, if it's your first few times and you jump straight into it, into like a, a full immersion, like until like your neck, right? Like a cold shower is different, but if you're like stepping into like a pool or like a frozen lake and it's your first time, very different, definitely need to be ready for that or have someone with you. Well, actually I have some experiences with, uh, getting into a lake in the middle of the winter and I got sick. So that was my first kind of, um, you know, ice bathing experience. Um, So I guess that was just not really responsible of me. Um, But actually, I am planning a interview with a Wim Hof um, instructor. So I'm very excited about that. And I think, you know, having these experiences myself will probably make me more ready to have that conversation. So yeah, I guess it's it's time. I, I think I have to stop delaying it the inevitable and kind of start start doing this <laughs> yeah I, I was as you said that i was like i definitely want to record a podcast with wim hof but like while we're both in an ice bath i think that would be so cool <laughs> oh shit that would be that would be awesome well if you ever do that i will definitely share it with everyone and you know we can talk about how awesome it is to like I mean I would dream about you know having Wim Hof on the podcast it's like his experience and you know how like he has become like this icon you know just this guy from the Netherlands who you know it was just like there was like this you know this crazy guy that you read about was just like oh someone just kind of swimming under ice and just you know running a marathon in like the arctic what the fuck and then you it like he became this huge icon and with such huge following and everyone looking up to him and i think he is his he's so kind and he's so inspiring and the way that he really appears on so many podcasts and he's always so kind to everyone it's it just kind of speaks to the way he lives his life and i think um it's it's nice to kind of know that he after all that success he still lives in you know his um hometown and just you know just chilling in his lakes and doing that i think it's so inspiring yeah that's what success is all about people get it wrong the majority of the time i think it's about the big house and the big car yeah for sure um, I guess before we part ways, I have a last uh, question about some vegan experiences. 
um because in my like i've been vegan for a while and it's now easier for me um but i know that at the beginning i struggled with my gut and with you know all of this these kind of digestive problems and bloating and gas and i know that a lot of people considering going vegan uh, or just starting are struggling with that um so before we go can you share some advice on on that yeah of course um If you're someone that wants to transition, I would say ease your way into it in terms of like increasing your amount of fiber intake, right? Um, getting bloating and, and gases, like it's normal. We're, we're fully changing your gut microbiome with the different types of food that you're eating, especially if you're eating like a lot more processed food and like heavy meats, there is a shift in your gut microbiome that is going to take place. Um, and that's a normal reaction, right? It's kind of like the cost of you becoming healthier. I'm going to tell you like the majority of times, like two weeks ish that it takes place. Right. Um, and so I invite you to push through that phase, right? Grab digestive enzyme. If it helps, make sure you stay hydrated, but we need to switch over that gut microbiome, um, to healthier bacteria, right? Because you're completely changing the foods that you're eating. Um, so if you can, if you are taking the time to make that transition and you have the time, then by all means go for it. Right. Uh, If you're someone that went like me, like overnight, you went vegan and now you're kind of dealing with that, it's going to end at one point, right? Just be very wary of like how much fiber you're eating on certain days, especially if you're eating whole food plant-based, trying to maybe like throw in a bit more like tofu or tempeh in there just to reduce the amount of fiber that you would get compared to if you're eating a bunch of like chickpeas and beans and lentils that are really, really high in fiber, right? So if you make the transition overnight, be aware of your amount of fiber, Grab, make food choices that maybe will be less fiberish. Like again, like tofu and tempeh, really good go-to, um, and then ease your way into like being able to eat more. But fully know that you are switching all like you're switching over the gut back here in your gut, and that's a kind of like a normal reaction. Um, it, the extent to which you're going to receive that, uh, feel that, will be a reflection of how bad you've been eating before. Awesome. Well, you know, after I. And my conversations, you know, there are usually, it's like sometimes I am tired. Sometimes I am just kind of like, you know, it was fun. I learned that. And sometimes I'm just like energized. And right now I'm kind of none of these. I am just more than energized. I am in a state of bliss and just wanting to, like I said, run the marathon, take an ice bath and then just, you know, write a book after that. I think it's like, exactly. why not? Let's throw it on top. <laughs> exactly. I want to thank you so much for this discussion. It was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. It was an honor like meeting you. It was a pleasure chatting with you. Um, and yeah, thank you for this, uh, this opportunity. If you want to share something with the listeners or say where they can find you or have some, you know, last piece of advice or share a quote, um, Do you want to um, kind of say something directly to the listeners? Yeah, for sure. Um, know that whatever you think is worth it right now is actually not worth it. Um, that's a big lesson I had to learn. You know, people are like, I, you know, I just want to eat a little bit of meat here and there. I can eat a little bit more processed food here and there. I can treat my body a little bit like more terrible here and there. Like all those things compound over time. And I'll be upfront with you in that once you get sick, Once you have cancer or you have some of those health complications as autoimmune diseases, it's the hardest thing to live with and recover from. And so whatever you think is worth it, once you're on that flip side, you would take it all back, right? So just taking it from a place of experience is what I want to share. And that if it's someone listening that wants to transition to plant-based eating, like whole food plant-based eating, and but they're like, there's they're still not too sure. Um, there's a lot of benefits to transitioning to whole food plant-based, right? A lot of the big reason why I do what I do is because I want to help people thrive and disease-proof their body. I like to use plant-based nutrition uh, and the analogy of like a seatbelt, right? When you're driving and you have your seatbelt on and you get into a car accident, you're less prone to dying because you have your seatbelt on. If you don't have a seatbelt, yeah, you're pretty much guaranteed sure. you're going to die. That's what plant-based nutrition does for your health. You're putting on that seatbelt, right? There's no guarantees that you'll never get sick, but you're greatly reducing the risk of you being sick. And that's why I encourage everyone to transition to a whole food plant-based diet. Um, and that, yeah, I'm, I'm a very open book. If everyone wants to like ask questions or learn, they can just on Instagram is probably the best platform. Um, the podcast as well, but Instagram is probably the number one place to get a, get a hold of me. Um, 
Yeah. So it'd be Instagram at Lucky Sigui. I'm sure you'll put the, the link somewhere. Yeah, that's going to be, I, through watching stuff on YouTube, I, at the beginning, I said it's down below, but shit, it's like a podcast, not down below. It's, it's the episode description. So everything is there, the recommendation, the links and uh, yeah, thanks again. And I will speak to you in a couple of seconds in my outro. Oh my God, what a person. I mean, I'm curious at which point you could tell that I was so charmed and enamored by him, like a little crush. I gotta say, he is such an amazing person. I mean, his words and just his sheer presence, they radiate kindness and tranquility. I really love his insights on the definition of manliness because I think it's really important to redefine what it means to be strong, to be brave and rethink the importance of being able to cry in front of one's partner and I think this definition of strength, the one that is not stored within one's muscles, one's body, is so important when it comes to thinking about what it is to be a man and I also wanted to address that you know in this episode we talked a bit about you know what it is to be a man or a woman and it might have been a bit too binary so I want to address that you know gender is a spectrum and it's not exactly binary and there is a difference between biological sex and gender identity so I want to put that out there because it's important to to also talk about that. Um, so yeah, but coming back to Luki, I think, you know, I really admire his strength when going through something as tough as losing a partner. I really can imagine how hard that must have been because like I said, you know, from what I've um, listened to and read, you know, his fiance really was an amazing person. But it's amazing how he was able to find strength and growth in those darker times and it's really incredible and it really can teach us how we can all grow through those tough moments and find lessons in those tough times and also i think you know his insights on body image in men are also very important because i think we often forget that this isn't something that only you know women go through you know in fact each and every one of us no matter how you identify yourself on which part of a spectrum you lay, I think each and every one of us struggles with their appearance to some degree. So that's that about that. Really, thanks again, Loki, for coming. And now when it comes to the inside of this week, I want to talk about crying at movies because I usually am such a crier and I can cry, you know, watching Disney movies or dramas and sometimes even even comedies I really cry a lot at movies and I realized lately that I really like it I don't know why but there is this it's like a pleasure it's like I'm moved I'm sad by something yet at the same time I am just it feels nice to cry and that's really weird because if you think about it it seems that one of the most flamingly obvious rules of human nature is that people tend to seek pleasure and avoid pain. I mean, we spend a lot of money and make incredible efforts to avoid feeling sad and lonely and just not be crying. I mean, look at all we do for people to like us, so we are not alone and crying. So why do we pay movie makers and cinemas those $10 to make us cry? Because I know that I am not alone in this and I talked with so many of my friends and they said the same thing that crying at movies and with a good book is something they seek and they look for something that will move them. So I was thinking about the reason, I was thinking about why that that is and you know I think there is something pleasurable in pain. I mean of course pleasure is certainly more well pleasurable than pain. And if you give most people a choice between eating a cupcake and getting a electric shock, then it's kind of rare for people to opt for the shock. However, that doesn't mean that we always seek out immediate pleasure and avoid immediate pain. We often choose to 
undergo unpleasant experiences either for our own benefit or to help others in the long run. So for example, we know we drag ourselves out of bed to exercise and we take care of sick or disabled loved ones sometimes for years. And I think it's like there is pleasure in pain long term. And I was thinking about that, but I don't I don't I am not sure that this is the reason why. And also, you know, there were some studies done at Penn State that suggest that people do not only watch films for pleasure, but they also watch films for insight and enlightenment and just meaningfulness. But I don't know. I'm also, I think it goes beyond just that. And I think the reason might be just that crying releases toxins, which, you know, decrease stress and it releases endorphins, you know, which are hormones that make us feel happier and oxytocin that you know is the bonding hormone that connects us with others and i think crying during a movie in particular helps because you are emotionally connecting to something on the screen without actually going through it in your real life so it might help you empathize with others better but you know thinking about all of this i also think it's just you know that it feels nice that you can feel something you know that even the bad things feel nice because I think we like to be moved I for example like to be moved it's why we seek out art and why we read poetry it's just that we like to feel stuff and I think it's so interesting and I think it's one of the you know those qualities that are not really prevalent in other species so yeah, my insight of the week is that I really love crying and I really love to be moved. And I think it's it's kind of as if my heart is made of strings and the purpose of those strings is just to be plucked sometimes and and just to for me to feel some stuff. And I think at the end of the day, that is what it means to be human, to feel the good and the bad things. So not to get philosophical here, I'm going to end this episode right here. I want to thank you so much for listening. I want to say that you are such a great person and you make the world better and brighter when you smile. So smile for me, for yourself and for the people around you. Thank you so much for listening and I will speak to you in the next episode. and produced by Julia Spohr. If you want to learn more, visit the website attached in the episode description or visit our Instagram page, which you can also find in the episode description or at beingbetter.pod. If you want to support the show, there are a couple of ways to do that. The first one and the best one is to share the podcast with your friends and with your family. Tell them why you enjoy it and why they might enjoy it as well. You can also share it on your social media platforms. And another way to help the show is to write a review, rate or subscribe to the podcast because that helps new listeners find the show as well. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and I will speak to you in the next one.